welcome to the Grin podcast. We have a very special guest today, all the way from Iceland. His name is Hilmar. I'm going to talk to him about a very interesting subject. Hilmar is somebody who has been instrumental in reviving a Viking era religion in Iceland. And he's going to talk to me uh, about how this entire process of reviving an ancient religion in Iceland really came into being and how he's managed to convince and why people are interested in reviving this religion. Welcome to the Grin Podcast. I'm Hindolson Gupta and we're now going to talk to Hilmar. Hilmar, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I want to begin by asking you, Hilmar, how did you come upon this idea? What really happened? Take us through your journey. You know, what do you do and how did you come upon this idea of reviving this religion? It wasn't actually me uh, because uh, it started uh, in 1972 when I was only 14 years old. Uh, but, but I had already been really interested in the old mythology, uh, which has always been a big part of Icelandic culture. You know, it, it, uh, we have a unique situation in Iceland because uh, uh, Iceland was uh, the only country in the world that after the Christian conversion uh, kept the old texts and cherished them. Uh, and they they preserved them as literature, but, but of course people realized that there is a, a, an ethical and there's a religious dimension behind them. And uh, so uh, after the so-called conversion to Christianity in the year 999 or 1000, they were part of the Icelandic culture and uh, were just a big part of our national identity. And in the 19th century, we realized that this was a unique contribution because everything had been wiped out in, in the Scandinavian countries, except a few rune stones here or there that had uh, some religious content. Uh, so uh, we, we cherished this, and uh, in the 1960s, some people started about started thinking about doing a revival. And uh, I was certainly really smitten by, by the whole idea uh, in, in my sort of early teens. And then in 1972, a, a group of, of, of a few people uh, gathered together and, uh, and sought to revive the religion. Uh, and they sought the approval of the, uh, the government, and, uh, which was not forthcoming because uh, a lot of people were against it. And then in 1973, uh, in, in, in the beginning of May, it got finally recognition, state recognition. And uh, then uh, 11 months later, I turned 16 and I could join the group, uh, which was fantastic for me because I, it was my first adult decision to, to join anything and, and sign myself out of the state Lutheran church because we were all born into the State Lutheran Church, whether we wanted to or not. And uh, so it was a very good occasion for me to be there at nine o'clock on my 16th birthday to say, I, I want to join this group. And we were so few then, only in the 40s. I mean, I was told later on that I was member number, number 36, uh, which I thought was a very auspicious number. 
and uh, so I've been part of it ever since. And tell us, um, what does this religion entail? Because from what I understand, it's a combination of old Norse mythology and also a worship of nature and its elements. Yes, that's more or less what it is. Uh, because uh, we, we have uh, this wonderful book called the Codex Regius, uh, which is preserved in, in Iceland. Uh, it, it was in Denmark for a few centuries. And this has the, the mythological, the cosmological poems, uh, uh, which are about the creation of the world. What is the book called again? Uh, a Codex Regius in, in Latin, uh, the, the, the King's Codex. Uh, uh, it, it was given to the, the King of Denmark uh, way back in, in the 16th century. And the, it, it had been, been uh, written up in, in countless other manuscripts. And but that is the main preservation of, of the poems, which are cosmological and then ethical. Uh, there's one poem called Havamal, the sayings of the High One, which is all about ethics, how to be a good person, how to behave, uh, how to uh, lead a, a good life, and how to uh, have respect. And it, it, those are ethical precepts, so they're not really religious in the sense that they are not uh, commandments, they are sort of very good and gentle advice. Fascinating. And um, your your religion is called the Asatru religion, is that correct? Yes, which is a bit misleading because this is a term that was uh, coined in the 19th century by a Danish pastor uh, who uh, was held in high esteem in Iceland. So uh, when the people started writing about it scholarly from the mid-19th century, they, they started to use this umbrella term. But it's misleading because the Aesir are like this one family of gods, uh, but there is another family of gods which are called the Vanir. And then there are all, all sorts of, 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 of beings that we believe uh, that exist in nature and who, who share this country or this planet with us, who, who are also uh, afforded respect and, and sometimes uh, people offer a, a ritual sacrifice to them or, or, or stuff, acknowledge them. Fascinating. Um, this is a very important point. You say that the, even the word Asatru came from, you know, a Danish pastor who gave this word. So what would what was the more indigenous word? How would you refer to uh, your faith? We would refer to it as our custom or the old custom because uh, uh, in in the, the oldest literature uh, people used to make a distinction between what they called the new custom which was Christianity and the old custom uh, which was uh, the way of of, of, the, of old. And uh, of course in the old custom you know it is about celebrating the ancient gods like Thor and Odin and so on and so forth, right? Yes. Now tell me, uh, of course, many of these gods today, for most uh, people today in 2019, many of them only have access to these ancient cultures via, you know, movies from Hollywood like Avengers and, yes. and 
what do you think about that? Because you know, while on one hand all these ancient customs have been forgotten in many places, but uh, but the only access point seems to be these movies. Uh, do you think it's a good good way to understanding old cultures? I I, I think well, to to be blunt, I mean, uh, uh, it's both good and bad. And uh, but, but I think the, the good far outweighs the bad because uh, I, I'm a firm believer in in that. Uh, religion and, and the gods will always find a way back, even if they've been outlawed or suppressed. And uh, we can see how the imagination of, of, of people in in Europe and, and other cultures were actually uh, fired up by by reading about about the old mythology because, uh, in a way, it felt familiar to people who have been studying uh, the classics, uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology. And actually in, 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 in the, uh, the 19th century, a lot of, of, of scholars who were doing studies in Sanskrit, they actually started to see a lot of parallels between, uh, say, the, the Hindu theogony and the Scandinavian or Norse theogony because uh, we have a, a common Indo-European tradition. Uh, we probably have uh, stuff, uh, a, a tradition that that goes, I mean, thousands and thousands of years back, where we have a god like Thor. Thor is actually uh, a cognate uh, linguistically with Indra in, in Hinduism. Absolutely. And Indra is like a god that uh, of thunder. Yeah, and and, and, and yes, and he, he uh, so the thunder. He is a dragon slayer, uh, like like Thor, uh, who is fighting the Midgard serpent. Uh, we have a primal being called Ymir, where you have a primal being or beings, uh, Yama and Yima in Hinduism, and you can see this in Persian mythology too, which is an offshot of of of, of, of the old. Uh, Hindu religion, so so we can trace so so many ideas back uh, to to uh, the, the Hindu culture, and then of course it, it adapts by by moving from south to north. Uh, it 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 gets in contact with indigenous traditions, uh, where they introduce a new family of gods, and so it it is mutating, uh, changing. But I think the core always remains the same. Fascinating. Um, I was thinking when you were talking about how even the name Asatru was given by someone else. Well, even the name Hindu, you know, oh, is yeah. not really was the ancient name of the religion. It's something that came much later. Uh, the ancient um, Hindus really called themselves or called their religion the Sanatan Dharma, the the ancient way, the the way that uh, that always has been and always will be, so to speak, right? So yeah. I, when you spoke about this, I saw a lot of resonance. And you know, all, all over the world, there is a revival in a sense of this idea that, uh, you know, some people call paganism. Now, I don't know whether that term also is the right term, but, but you know, this revival of the old ways, you know, many more people are becoming more and more interested in these old, old ancient ways, which are far more liberal, far more uh, open, far more accustomed to uh, the nature, to the way people live. Yes, I, I, I think 
they speak to uh, this, these traditions speak to us on so many different ways that have been outlawed for the, the past few centuries because I, I think uh, the monotheistic outlook uh, that that uh, that we have had uh, as as a leading uh, thing in, in Western culture uh, has been uh, against nature. I mean, we we are actually uh, destroying our, our environment, and we are not living in harmony with it any longer. We we we've stopped respecting the natural powers around us, thinking that we can tame them. But for us in Iceland, with our volcanoes, our, our, our earthquakes, our extreme weather, we of course, we've had, uh, since the settlement, we know that we have to adapt to nature. I mean, she will not adapt to us. And there's, there's no way we can tame nature. We have to find a way of living in harmony. And uh, we have to make up for things that we have destroyed, like... Uh, working with reforestation and 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 all these ideas are, are like central to the old 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 religion that that we are part of nature we are not above it we are not the crown of creation we are part of a, a large cycle uh, and, and we we still go through a cyclical existence but not a linear existence like we, you have in the monotheistic outlook where you have a, a start in Genesis and an end of time in the 22nd chapter of, of, of the Revelation of St. John, uh, just to take Christianity as an example. So uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's a very healthy and very modern way of looking at things by going so far back. And as the world comes to closer and closer to this world of environmental disaster, you know, my hometown in the in the town of Delhi, the Indian capital, has been seeing desert levels of heat, for instance. Mm. And um, as environmental disaster faces us, you know, many islands would probably be sunk in a few years as the water levels rise, the seas rise. Do you think that this idea of the ancient religions of coming closer to nature, living in harmony with nature, rather than this sort of, you know, quasi-modern idea um, that, you know, man strides nature and, you know, man rules and controls nature, we have to give that idea up because clearly that has led us to a path of disaster? Yes, I, I, I think the idea that we could subjugate nature and tame her uh, it, uh, it's been a disaster uh, and although I'm a, I'm a great fan of of science and, and, and progress I think that that uh, the scientism or, or the idea that that science can solve all, all of the world's problems I mean, is, is, a, is, a, is a dead end uh, it, it, it will not work and it, it has the, brought us I mean, to, to, a, 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 to a place where we have to make decisions and, 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 and in a way go back to older values uh, which are much more sensible and, and much more practical. Tell me a little bit about the practice of this religion. How many people are now in Iceland part of this religion? How fast is it growing? And what has been the reaction in the country uh, about the rise of this religion again? 
Well, we were very few to begin with. Like I told, told you, I mean, we were in numbered around 40 at the time when I joined, and we stayed around 100, which seems very small, but, but we were a very vocal group. Uh, we had very good, good prominent people within the movement. And then after the year uh, 1994, we saw a slow increase. And uh, when I took over in 2003, there were 540 members, which doesn't sound much, but that was like uh, a half a percent of the population at the time. Uh, and then a few years later, we uh, became 1% of the population. Uh, when we got, got close to 3,000 members. And uh, and since the year 2000, I, I, I feel there's a, a big change in outlook because a lot of the things we had been speaking about uh, with the environment and, and without, uh, with being sensible and, 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 and needing a, a good and meaningful life, and, and, and uh, they started to resonate uh, with people in Iceland. For 12 years now, we've been the largest non-Christian denomination in Iceland. We, we, uh, we have had respect, I would say, for uh, that people really respect what we do, what we stand for. And now we're approaching 6,000 members, which means that there has been a ninefold uh, increase in membership since the year 2003. So uh, well, while uh, Religion is on the decline in Iceland. We have always been uh, within the upward curve. Fascinating. Um, and you are you're the chief priest at the moment of, of this religion. Is that correct? Yes. And could you tell me what does that mean? What I, What is your role as the chief priest? Uh, according to the old, old traditions, uh, uh, it, it means that I have to sanctify uh, four cardinal ceremonies during the year, which are like uh, the first day of summer, which is in the end of April, and then what we call uh, the, the, the uh, parliamentary gathering, which is in the end of June. It will be on the 27th of June this year. Uh, the, the, it actually rotates or, or changes uh, between the years because it, it can fall on the from the 20th of June to the 28th because we always use the old almanac instead of the Gregorian calendar uh, when we do those ceremonies. Then we have the first day of winter which is uh, in, in the end of October and then we have what is called Yol which falls around the, the winter solstice uh, which we usually have, have on the 21st of December. So. Those are my main functions. Uh, I, I have to uh, sanctify these ceremonies, uh, and the idea is that so we, we maintain harmony, and we are keeping uh, the, the cycles moving, because it's a our cosmological outlook is about the cyclical uh, progression of, 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 of life. That's wonderful. I also want to ask you my final question, which is, are you also in conversation with other ancient faiths? For instance, is this religion in Iceland in conversation with other th things that are happening in the revival of traditional faiths 
in the other parts of Scandinavia uh in conversation with Hinduism Buddhism um is that conversation beginning to take place oh it's been taking place for a long time I actually met a, a Brahmin in, in, in London in the early uh, 1980s uh, who was very fascinated by the fact that I came from Iceland and he had a very deep knowledge of the Icelandic literature and he says, I know who you are because he, he was talking about that there was a special offshoot of Hinduism that, that was connected with, with the Aesir, uh, which he may have met the Asuras, uh, uh, which had moved North, and he was totally convinced he he he, he had the, the whole thing figured out, and uh, he was uh, uh, quoting some some uh, Hindu authorities which had been writ- writing about Icelandic mythology in, in the early 20th century. Uh, there's a fascinating book by Ananda Kumaraswamy called Rigveda as Landnamabók, where he uh, is comparing the Rigveda with uh, the Book of Settlements called Landnamabók in Iceland. So th- this is, uh, is a dialogue that has been going on for, for, for a long time, I mean, even before our religion was founded. Uh, a lot of people have also seen uh, uh, similarities between uh, some forms of Buddhism, uh, especially Tibetan Buddhism, where they have a lot of nature beings as, as part of the worship and, and part of the, the cosmology. So there's always been a, a good connection between, I would say, especially uh, the Hindu and the Buddhist groups. Uh, and uh, of, of course we've had uh, good connections with other polytheistic uh, people uh, like uh, stuff, the, the indigenous people of, of, of the Americas who have uh, a similar worship of nature or respect for nature. So it's an ongoing dialogue and and I think we're all all taking the same fight. That's a wonderful story, uh, Hilmar. And congratulations on all the wonderful work. Um, It does seem like extremely important work at a time when there is a true revival in many ways of spirituality and the ancient ways and the ancient gods in many parts of the world. Thanks very much for talking to me today on the Grin Podcast and I wish you the very best. You're listening to the Grin Podcast and we were talking to Hilmar from Iceland who told us about the revival of the ancient religion and the ancient gods in Iceland. Thank you. This is the Grin Podcast.